Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. And today, I'll be reviewing uh, a webinar that I uh, had with Tracy and Ernie Richardson, the authors of the Toyota Engagement Equation, How to Understand and Implement Continuous Improvement Thinking in Any Organization. Uh, Tracy and Ernie are also the founders of Teaching Lean Inc. Uh, and in the book, Tracy and Ernie uh, lay out an equation that came to them after 30 years of working uh, in the TMMK Toyota plant in Kentucky. Um, the, the book actually uh, walks through their 30 year Gamba journey and lays out. Um, the, all the learnings that they had uh, while working for Toyota. Um, it, it, it covers learnings from an hourly position uh, or a team leader and team uh, member position all the way through uh, to leadership positions. As you may know, Toyota has a very unique approach that most are not willing to replicate from a leader to team member development ratio, which was one to five, meaning through all levels of the organization, from the president to the team member, there was one leader that was responsible for five people on the team. Um, and oftentimes this could be four to seven, depending on the complexity of the area or the amount of decision made, as well as critical process areas. But for the most part, there was an average of five. Um, so throughout the book, uh, they develop this, they, they talk about this equation. It's GTS 6 plus E3 equals DNA. So the GTS, uh, which is, uh, can be laid out in six different areas, is go to see, grasp the situation, get to the solution, get to standardization, get to sustainability, get to stretch. And then the E3 stands for everybody engaged every day. These two are an amazing pair, and they obviously uh, love what they do. They've been doing this for a long time, and they have some really, really great value-add information to give all of us uh, during this webinar. So listen in, and uh, thanks again for joining the Lean Solutions Podcast. All right, so we're about five minutes in. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, just like we start out every uh, one of these webinars, uh, Tracy and Ernie, I love to start with a poll question. And I think we have a really great poll question for uh, all the attendees today. The question is, is the current COVID-19 condition going to help or hurt your culture when you return to work? So the answers are help, hurt, or maybe neither. Maybe it's not going to do anything. So I'm going to go ahead and launch this poll to everybody. You should have it in front of you right now. Go ahead and take a minute and answer that the best you can. Is the current COVID condition going to help or hurt your culture when you return, return to work? So as you're answering that, let me introduce our guest speakers for today. Uh, Tracy and Ernie Richardson are the co-owners of Teaching Lean Inc. with over 32 years of experience in Toyota methodologies. So Tracy worked in management at uh, the plastics department at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Kentucky from 1998, sorry, from 1988 to 1998, uh, where you accumulated over 460 hours of class time and priceless lessons from her Japanese uh, trainers and mentors. And then Ernie uh, had 32 years manufacturing and human resource experience with Toyota Ma Motor Manufacturing, which has allowed him to see the cultural uh, dynamics from both functional areas of the company. 
Uh, he's certified in the Toyota Way, Toyota Business Practices, uh, eight-step problem solving, standard work, visual management, strategy deployment, company culture, and then specializes in Toyota production system thinking. Uh, Tracy and Ernie are also co-authors of the Shingo Publication Prize-winning book, The Toyota Engagement Equation, which you see here on the screen, uh, Understanding and Implementing a Continuous Thinking Environment for Any Organization. Uh, and I just finished your book and uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, so it was amazing. Hey, uh, Tracy and Ernie, you guys should see the poll results up on the screen right now. Some interesting answers. Mm. Looks like 60% uh, say that the uh, current COVID situation is going to help their culture when they return to work, while 29% say uh, that it's going to hurt and 11% say neither. Pretty interesting. So That's with that, great. I want to turn it over to you guys. Welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for having us, Patrick. Ernie, you want to comment on uh, our thoughts around the, the poll question, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Yeah, we kind of started that poll question as kind of a thought starter, actually, uh, to think yeah. uh, when companies talk about uh, culture, and a lot of companies we go to, and they talk about culture, and they say, man, it takes forever to change a culture. And if you look at what's happened with the COVID-19 uh, activities that are going on, you can actually see a culture change fairly quickly. Now, I think some key points to that is people understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. People understand why the change is important and, what's, and what effects is it for them. And so it's really a good lesson, I think, as we go into our companies and we talk about uh, uh, looking at trying to change a culture or, or cultivate a culture, I should say. Uh, and we should be looking at making sure everyone understands what's in it for them. Why do, why should they care? And I think, uh, I think this has been a good example of you seeing a whole nation change, the, change the culture in a short period of time. And, and so I think it's a really good opportunity for companies to take advantage of, of that learning and being able to move into their own organizations and be able to, to, uh, cultivate, continue to develop the culture. So I think it's a, a good opportunity right now. Absolutely. I think uh, when you think about, um, you know, the, the downtime some have had, and I know some of them may have shut down, but I heard especially some local companies and, and you know, still being uh, attached to Toyota a little bit, you know, they're, they're doing some internal things. It'd be a great time to have uh, time to think, you know, Toyota calls it space to think. So we'll transition into to thinking, if you will. And uh, we've kind of brought some slides up and we even put some of our own cues to allow you to have notes if you're doing some screenshots and, and want to, you know, take uh, some pictures of, of the slides. And so it'll allow you to kind of follow along. But E, e to the fourth power. So I kind of added from E cubed from the book. I added a, a fourth one. You, you know, we're, we take we talk about Kaizen and, and improving, and after I think about it, I'm like, you know, we could have had uh, E to the fourth power. And, and when we talk about should everybody be problem solvers, we look at every day everybody engaged, and we're empowering that in people. You know, a lot of organizations, uh, you know, there's different variations of, of labeling. You know, there's Six Sigma. There, there's a lot of things around that. And I think from the perspective of everybody's a problem solver every day and how do we engage in that. And, 
when we look at the kind of the, the footprint of an organization, I like to call it uh, kind of the, the vertical and the, the horizontal alignment of the organization. And so it, it kind of makes a, a plus sign. I, I draw this up on a flip chart sometimes. And so when we look at it vertically, we can look at from, and it could be various things. You know, I, I say it to make it rhyme, but CEO to PPO. And it means from a, a cascade approach, everybody has a, a common lens. Now, I'm going to speak from the example of Toyota and, and just looking at the Toyota Way values, you know, the respect for people, the teamwork, the challenge, the, the Kaizen continuous improvement. And when we look at um, problem solving and the go see, th those values, how do we make those tangible, right? How do we live that, breathe that, and show that? You know, when we talk about the values, a lot of times we'll see them up in a, a picture in, in the lobby and the beautifully framed and, you know, but what does that mean for me as an individual? So from a, a, a vertical standpoint, if I'm the president or the CEO or the owner of an organization, I want to have that common lens from a value perspective, from a true north perspective, and also a, a lens of problem solving. And then horizontally, when you look at all the, the different some people call it silos, but all the functional areas. So, you know, I'm just going to name a few. You know, you look at accounting, you look at R&D, you look at uh, human resources, manufacturing, um, uh, just all the different, you know, dependent upon your genre of industry, there's a lot of different functional areas. And, you know, there's, there's always uh, what I call competing KPIs sometimes with, with areas like, We'll hear, hey, engineering is more important than manufacturing. Manufacturing will say they're more important than engineering. And so if we have a common lens, a common language, uh, kind of as Mr. Cho said, uh, a guiding beacon up there with the true north and our values, then it always grounds us in, in the sense of the directions. I know everybody's probably seen those PowerPoint slides with the, the arrows going all over the place. And we like to kind of harness those as we're moving towards that, that direction upward. And when we look at the, the next bullet point there, at Toyota, when we, when we started in 88, you know, there wasn't a lot of things documented. Even the word lean really didn't exist in the sense of it today. You know, we didn't know that was going to be the, you know, when, when Jim and, and Dan created that in the machine that changed the world. Mm -hmm. And maybe even a little before that, but it was kind of coined in as a, a replication of Toyota culture. You know, one of the, the, the funny things that our, our trainer said, and it probably wasn't funny at the time, but when I reflect on all this, is they said, you know, it's, it's not a choice, it's just our job. Mm -hmm. And uh, last year, I think I wrote a, an article, I said, you know, the job is an umbrella word for, for a lot of things. And I took that and I made it an acronym down there. And you can see our job is really just our behavior every day and how we align to what the company values are and make those tangible, bring that to life from that vertical and, and horizontal perspective. And then we can start to look at problem solving. You know, our, right. our trainer, the, the very end uh, bullet point on this slide is, is looking at problem solved equals our job security and and what i mean by that is our ability to see gaps recognize them and, and make cost sorry cost translations to the kpis 
meaning that our trainers down to, and some of you that have, have been, I saw some of you that have been in our sessions, we talked about the one second rule. And that was when the trainer actually made a translation to say, you know, one second accumulated, if we remove one second of waste in our, in our day, no matter where we are in the organization, you know, we, we just happen to be on the, on the line where we're building a vehicle, but it can be anywhere. It could be typing up through computer screens. I'm, I'm going through 10 screens I don't need to. It can be things like that. Those are your seconds. And when they made that translation to a KPI to say, if you add a second up, in an eight-hour day and kind of put it in a, a bank. That second goes in a bank. Well, we pulse our line about every minute we make a car, and, and people will have to make these translations to, to what how it fits their world. But when you add those seconds up and they go into a bank, and at the end of the day you can make eight more cars in the same amount of time, you know, you just sit there and you're like, wow, they asked me to save a second. My first impulse was to say, this is kind of a waste of time. Who cares about a second? But right. when you can make eight more vehicles in the same amount of time and you think about thousands of dollars of profit per vehicle, that's a lot. And that's just in one eight-hour day. And so I think folks' ability to make cost translations through problem solving, and as we get through this a little bit, we'll get a little bit deeper, that gives us that, that vertical and horizontal alignment to the values and, and our purpose. What, what are we doing? And this is our J-O-B, just our behavior every day. So right. do need anything to add before I change? And just think about when we talk about problem solving, uh, it's very different than firefighting. And, uh, and we have to really, we, we see a really strong culture in firefighting, but we have to con continue to embrace how do we back up and take the time to actually solve the problems right. so we can actually get ahead. We'll always have to do some firefighting. That's always have to do it, but it needs to be a, a small part of the day, and problem solving needs to be a bigger part of the day. Sure. What would you say, uh, Ernie, just a quick question. Oh, and just from a logistics standpoint, too, for those of you that are listening, if you do have a question, you can drop that into the chat box. We'll do our best to answer those questions uh, if we can, um, but otherwise we'll try to hit them maybe at the end of the webinar or uh, reach out later on. Uh, but just a quick question uh, based on what you said, Ernie, on, around firefighting. I had a post out there the other day and some really good conversation around it. But what would you say for an organization that maybe the primary, the primary time for a leader is spent firefighting? You said it should be a minimal amount of time. What would you tell them would be the first step that they should take in, you know, in trying to minimize the amount of firefighting that they're doing, you know, if they do have a, a large portion? Yeah, I think it's going to go into the next couple slides and talk. Oh, okay. I'm talking about we got to have standards because many, many times the reason we firefight is because we don't have standards and data, and therefore it forces us to do something and do something really quickly. And so as we start doing the firefighting, it can actually lead in and tell us where do we need uh, standards and data and should be telling us all the time instead of, hey, we'll do this and hope it fixes. it. Right. So it's huge in the, into the standardization piece. So if, if you go into this slide, we're talking about just, just to kind of feed off of what you just asked, Patrick, to say if we don't have a standard, uh, let me back up for a second. What, what, what we ask the class when we go to them, are you managing the process or is the process managing you? Mm, good question. So when, when, we have that, when we have that question, we're saying, are you always reacting or can you predict? 
And, and, and many times we'll hear reacting, of course, because we're in firefighting. And what we go back and, and talk about is, okay, let's go look at a problem and let's start with, do you have a standard? Well, and many times we hear, well, that's, we've always done it this way. And I always say, when I hear we've always done it this way, that's the key place to actually pull the end on, stop and go look and say, here's where we need to start with a standard. That's right. And we tell people a bad standard is better than no standard because it gives us a foundation to build a better standard. That's right. It starts, starts to create stability for you. Absolutely. And, and it, starts, it starts giving us the opportunity to control the process, to understand where do, we need to, where do we need to put our focus. And so the first, we, first question we'll always ask is, do we have a standard in place? It, do we have something to look at? And then, and then the second question is, okay, many times we'll hear we do have a standard. Now, how do you know? Let's go look at it. And when we get that how do you know part, well, we had a standard back uh, four or five years ago, and it's in a book somewhere. Hmm. And what we'll say is, well, I'm not sure that's really a standard. That's something somebody wrote at some point, and, and it was probably good at that time, but, but it's not working now, obviously. And, and the second key point to the standardization piece, and this is a part that we, we struggle with also, uh, is, is everybody – it's working on the process should be involved in developing the standard. They know the process better than anyone. So we go to the bottom level, the first level employee and say, help us understand what we should be doing. And then we can start working on how does that cascade up through the organization to support the company goals and objectives. And, and it's really important to be able to get those, those folks involved because they're the ones who really control the output of the process, right? Right. And then the standard really is talk about when we, when we get into standards, they should, and, and many people think standards limit creativity, but actually standards are the basis for creativity. Mm -hmm. If I have a standard in place, I can now understand when I make a change, how big an impact it has. If I don't have a standard in place, it's a guess how big an impact it has. Right. I have to wait for the trailing or the lagging indicators to be able to tell me, did we actually make a difference? The, the next part about standards, and, and, and every, every discussion we have, we talk about standards because it is so important to be able to have something that you have a baseline on. But if we, we can, anybody can write a standard. I always, we always talk about it's, it's the easiest part about a standard is writing it. It's maintaining it long term. It becomes the critical piece of it, right? Right. So if you don't have accountability, and I don't mean we're going to find somebody and, you know, that's not following the standard and let's go fire them. I'm talking about do we have accountability as a company to be able to understand are we performing according to what we should be doing to the standard? And if there's no accountability to it, then what we say is it's really just a suggestion. It's not a standard. Mm -hmm. So you got to really separate the difference. If it's something I need to control that, that's going out of my company, I need to control it and it needs a standard. And you look at uh, all the critical uh, manufacturing processes around the world, or any process is critical, they'll always have a standard and they'll always be audited for that standard. And that's the same thing we have to do internally with our standards. How do we, how do we ensure they're being followed to be able to control the output of the process. And that's when we know at that point, we've got control of the process that's not managing us anymore. Right. And, and, then, and then we connect that standard. Once we're able to get that standard in place, now I can measure the process. I can start putting data points in or KPIs and to be able to see where do I need to focus my attention? Where do I need to be able to get 
the right amount of resources at the right place at the right time to be able to have the biggest impact for the company. And right. it really connects to the company at this point. And, it, and this is a struggle for some companies is being able to say, how does what we do every day connect to our long-term company goals and objectives for our, for our company? How do we have that line of sight from, from all the way from the operator level all the way to, as Tracy said, the CEO to the PPO? How do we have that line of sight where everybody's working from the same book? Right. But, and so standards are so hugely important for us to get some stability and stabilize and then improve, not improve, 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 and never stabilize. And Ernie, you had, uh, you hit on people here and a little bit on culture. There was a question that popped in. Uh, and I think you kind of answered it, but the question was, how can we build a support structure for frontline team members? Oh, that's, that's to me, that's, that's the easiest part is that's what we all, as leaders, that's what we all do, right? We're developing the systems to be able to allow the team members to be successful. So we build in whatever the standardization piece, the KPI piece, we provide the environment for them to be successful. And we, we encourage and engage them to be able to help us solve problems. And once we're able to do that, man, it, the, the, the door's wide open at that point. Sure. Yeah, good point. Uh, the other question was just on your last point uh, around KPIs. Someone was asking, they said that uh, they have so many KPIs in their organization, they wanted to know what are the most impactful KPIs to align cost production with your KPIs? Yeah, so, so what, I, what, we, what we coach people to look at is first, let's, what we, we – we don't need so many KPIs that they become unimportant. Right. So we need to measure the things that have impact to the output of our process. So if, if we need to control that process, we need a KPI. And sometimes, we're, here's, the, here's kind of the confusion. This KPI that we're talking about, process KPI, is really for the production guy or the person on the process. How do they know when to be able to make change? And then that bleeds, that, that kind of goes upward to the company goals and objectives to be able to fit in a bigger, wider range of KPIs so we all can understand is, is that process under control. The, the biggest mistake many companies make is they try to track everything and all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming and means nothing. Right. So what we'll okay. tell you, go back and pick up, what are the things that are, what are the things that you need to control out of that process? What's the one or two, in some process, in some processes, honestly, you probably don't even need a KPI. But there's almost all processes will have something critical that you need to be able to measure to be able to see is it, is it performing to what it should be? If not, why? And, and also to add to what Ernie said is, is looking at what is the internal customer need the process to be and then what's the external customer. So I always say what's the pain to the organization? You know, what's getting hit? And, and all KPIs, if you, if you connect, if I have a quality issue, that's a cost. If I have a safety, an injury, something that happened, that's a cost. If I don't have a good productivity day, that's a cost. So the, when I talked earlier about cost translation, that's looking at productivity, that's looking at quality, that's looking at safety, that's looking at HR training and development, the people side, all of them connect to an ultimate cost for either doing or not doing something from a leading indicator where I'm more predictive. And we'll, I think it comes up in the slides, being predictive rather than reactive. Where in the process can we interject the point to say, I need to track it here before it gets over here and I'm reacting to it. 
And so I look at what's the pain first. You know, if you look at a Pareto chart, your focus item and your descending chart, what are those areas for that, that pain that I need to look at from a company perspective, you know, looking at bigger targets, and then how does that cascade down to department level and even team level? You know, if we looked at our case, we had assembly. Ernie and I were in plastics and powertrain, which were feeder departments. Then within plastics, I was, you know, injection molding or, or instrument panel. Then I had team goals. So you could do that cascade up to say if the company needs a cost reduction, I can look at that at my granular level from an internal customer to the external and make those connections. Very nice. Just one, just one more quick thing before we leave this slide is we, all, we all always need to be able to allow standards to be changed but we need to allow them to be changed at the lowest level possible. So every standard change that shouldn't have to go to the president. To be supported. And so, so many times when we see uh, people that they, they, they want to make change and they say, well, it takes three months to make a change that they can't, that won't work. Right. So we have to have a process that's, that's suitable and approved at the right levels of organization and everything shouldn't have to go to the most senior person. Matter of fact, they should see, see very few. Yeah. yeah, if the catch ball is happening and, and the bottom down is creating and we're just throwing that up for approval to say, are we meeting expectation? It's much more fluid when it happens at the bottom. And, and as I talk about in the book, we don't want to sell, tell, and convince anybody doing the work to do anything. We need to engage and involve them in creating it. And we're just the servant leader supporting it. And what resources do you need to be effective at it? So yeah. that's, that's, I think, crucial for leaders to understand. So, so as, as we talk about, you know, Ernie and I get a lot of questions and, and have for years, um, you know, what was it like to be in Toyota's culture? And, and you know, I'm never going to say it was a perfect culture. There's no perfect culture. There's no perfect company. You know, the things that Toyota did from a cultural perspective had to do with standardization and what we talked about. There was always a standard. We always understood what we needed to do. Everything was visualized. And, and for every minute, every hour of the day, we knew where we were in accordance to, to the standard. And so we came up with this equation, which is the, the meat and potatoes, as we say in Kentucky, uh, of the book. We, we tried to replicate uh, a, a Tracy and Ernie uh, kind of internalization of how do you share a very dynamic infrastructure of culture and bring it down to say, here, you can do this in any organization. It really had nothing to do with cars or building you know, vehicles or all the things that we did. It was, it was how we, we think. Mm -hmm. And so with the equation, it allowed us, and, and I, I put in a visual, and I, I know a lot of people on LinkedIn uh, that follow and, and, and connect with us have seen the visual. If not, hopefully it, it brings to life where the, the, the outside of the ring is what you see as the, the actual GTS equation. And then what we've done in the book is actually weave in the TVP, the Toyota Business Practices, eight steps. 
So you can kind of see and grasping the situation. Go to see the GTS ones in the middle with the person with the eye that I've got to I've got to go see everything. And that's one of the Toyota Way values is Genshi Genbutsu, which we couldn't say it, so we said get your boots on. But it really just <laughs> meant you know let's go see. And so if you look at this this process, it was our cultural kind of linear path of thought. You know, first we go see, we grasp the situation, and that's looking at from the when you look in the inner ring where the eight steps go around it's all the foundation is is plan do check action there when you get to the third level so it's a stacked approach to kind of bring in such a dynamic culture that can transfer to healthcare transfer to service industry in anything that people do this is a way to think through your value streams we we work probably more outside of manufacturing than inside I'll say pre-virus. We haven't been anywhere. This is day 50, so we haven't been anywhere for, for a little bit. But yeah. when, we, when you look at the grasping the situation, that's framing the problem, getting the, the gap, how, how do we measure that gap, and then looking at getting the solution that's root cause, that's you know getting beyond the symptom, thinking deeper, then getting into the GTS-4, which is really setting the standard, going back to what Ernie said. We, we never operated without a standard, and there was accountability to that. And if it wasn't followed, there could be corrective action. And so there was high accountability. But the, the beauty of it, people, as we've said, they think, oh, gosh, you know, you're stifling my, my creativity. Actually, we embrace the fact that we knew the expectation every day. There's a beauty around knowing what's expected and being able to see gaps when, when they're there just really quick. You know, that's kind of really the foundation of 5S is to see abnormality at a glance. And then that sets us up for, you know, kind of sustaining and maintaining that standard which then allows us to improve it and, and getting to that point where we're going to raise the bar on ourselves. And it, 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 at Toyota, we would call it purposely creating a, a gap, which a lot of folks say, you know, what kind of crazy place did you work for that you're purposely making a problem when you don't have one? And that was really going back to our expectation. But we had to set ourselves up through this path of thinking. You just didn't go in and have a, a, a target and, oh, let's, let's raise the bar, let's raise the bar, and you, you, you miss that stability of that standard, which takes us again back to, and I'll, I'll add to it now, the, the E4, everybody, every day engaged, empowered in this process of thinking, which supports what we learned internally as the TBP. And in the book, we have a whole case study, A3, around quality circles, actually, and I actually did it at the plant. It's a real live A3 that I made kind of for the book to fit, and there's a coach walking through, uh, a mentee going through the process of the eight steps, so you kind of see how it's waved. But that really, all that set us up for that equal sign there to, to be the DNA, and I say that's the discipline and accountability that a lot of cultures miss. You know, that's the part that is so much of the key. You know, Mr. Cho would, would always bring our competitors in, and people have heard this story. And a lot of the, the folks would say, why are you bringing those guys in here? They're seeing all of our secrets. Right. And he's like, really, the secret is invisible. They can't see mm. the cultural aspect of people thinking on a every-minute, every-hour basis and visualizing gaps 
that's what they can't see. They see the external of a system, but the internal of a thinker and a problem solving a problem solver and a person that's visualizing every day on the boards the team leaders are out there working you always knew where you were and so that dna this kind of helps support a linear path of thinking and and the visual hopefully allows you to see it all together there so ernie anything to add before i yeah, switch no, over? just real quick is is this is uh this this formula is what we really started out calling it leadership standardized work of how leaders should be able to look at 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 the process and be able to understand there's a step at each level and be able to support and, and develop and support the organization to be able to, to have the patience to do it correctly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great point. There was a question that came in. Uh, it, it might back us up just a tad, but you mentioned leader standard work. You guys talked a lot about standard work. Quick question that came in from Francisco. How do I write a standard uh, and avoid being too prescriptive so we don't create bureaucracy. Yeah, so the standard should only include uh, parts of the process we need to control. So we have to be really careful to not write non-value-added stuff into the standard. Uh, some standards can be really short if it's a small process, and then, and then if you take a huge process, we may divide it into three or four standards. Sure. But we only put in it what we create value. So we would ask every step you write in the standard, you've got to say, what's the value of that step? Yeah, otherwise, again, like we talked about earlier, otherwise we'll make standards for everybody, everything and nobody will follow anything because it, it really does make it so restrictive that people can't even perform the job. You know, pick up a screw with your right hand, put it in with your right hand, twist it three times. You, th those, some of those don't create value. Sure. You only want to be able to put into the standard what value or what part of the process we're trying to control, not all the all the extra stuff. And you're you're wanting to look at I look at a standard as the best known method at this moment that we have consensus and agreement. You know, these are all the folks doing the work, right? We we gotta get them have agreement until we change it together. So if the folks that are doing the work, like let's say there's 10 people that rotate on this process and I have all 10 of those together, what's the most value-added step? Who has the best knacks? You know, it's like sharing tribal knowledge, sharing our best practice. And how can we create the best of the best to set the baseline to go into that, you know, sustainability, maintain, then improve, then we're improving it together. So if I feel like I've been a part of creating it, then you, you lose some of that. Um, it, I, I call it pushing the standard versus pulling. You know, I'm pulling out what I need from the folks. I'm engaging with them. They're actually creating it. I'm just facilitating to ensure we're meeting KPIs, we're meeting the internal customer and what the external needs and doing it in the most value-added way. But when they're a part of it and they're adding their value and their time and what they've learned over the years, you will find that, you know, there may be disagreements, but you work through that and you understand the why. But sometimes there's reluctancy to folks actually wanting to share their knacks because, oh, I, I want to hoard my, my information because I'm not special if I don't have that special knack or I can do this the fastest. And so we got to, again, that goes to purpose and understanding and, and, and Kaizen. 
that I'm not just an individual, I'm part of a team, and the team succeeds, we succeed as an organization, and we also fail as one. Mm -hmm. um, as Sakichi Toyota says, people are the most important asset of the organization and can be the determinant of the rise and fall. So we have to put that emphasis on the people that are doing the work, create that best known method that we have accountability to follow until we change it. I'm going to move this forward for you, Ernie. Yeah, and, uh, and, and just the last point on, on, on that subject is really be careful how many standards you try to develop at once. Mm -hmm. What we would encourage is, is do, do whatever the size of your company can work on, but don't try to do everything at once. Do the things that are critical, because think about if I don't have a standard and I'm going to a standard, that's a culture change. And so do do one or two right before you do a bunch wrong. Right. And so really want to, really want to reinforce that we do the right amount at a time, and continue on developing people to be able to do it. So as as we shift to this slide in GTS one, we talk about go to see and grasp the situation, and this is absolutely one of the biggest struggles that most companies have with us. Is is they can tell us what the problem is. But when we push them on it, they can't show us what the problem is. And so we really do talk about going to the Gimba, going to see means that we've got to have a plan when we're going out. We're not just out walking around. We've got a plan of what are we going to look for? And then we've got to look at some things when we're there, not just the fact of we're going to the floor. We've got to be looking to start with, do we have a standard? And if we have a standard, is it documented? How do we know? How do we train to it? What are all the aspects? What is happening? And then the next point is what is what is, is happening versus what should be happening. And so be, as a leader, I've got to understand the differences of those two. Now, I can't just walk up and say, hey, Patrick, why are you not doing your job? You know, it, that people are not coming in and performing the way they are because they think that's just, this is the only way to do it or they want to or disrupt the company. They're actually trying to survive. Mm -hmm. and so we're giving them a broken process and expecting them to perform miracles. When we don't, we blame them. Right. And so what we go back and as leaders, when we go, we go look and see what should be happening versus what is. And we always tell uh, the people that we coach is, I want you to see the problem, but I also want you to see where does the problem come from and where does the problem go? It's more crucial than just that one aspect of right there. It has an aspect for the different ones. The next part is then we're going to ask you, how do you know it's a problem? It, do, you have, do you have KPIs? Do you have measures on it? Do you show me how it's a problem? Mm -hmm. and, and, and many times we'll hear, well, it comes up all the time. Well, that, that's, that's a true reflection of professional firefighting if it keeps coming up all the time, right? So we're going to really push them to say the process is controlling you at this point. We're asking you to get control of the process. So please get whatever KPI you need to be able to understand why is this process not stable after we develop the standard. And then we, we use that as the leading indicator for the lagging indicators that Tracy's going to talk about in the next slide. But I need to first understand how can that process perform before I can worry about what's our total output or, or what's our profit margin for the, for the quarter. I need to understand why is this process not stable. Many times we talk, uh, and, and this is one of the things that probably was, was really complex for me to learn at Toyota. It says, if we control all the leading indicators, we don't have to worry about the lagging indicators. 
Hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. So if you control the process indicators, uh, we will meet our company goals and objectives and many times overachieve that company goal and objective because of, of, of our leading indicators that we're, we're tracking and controlling. That makes sense. So I believe this is, yeah, the last one before the, the end slide. So when we look at everything that we talked about, so how do, how do leaders try to support uh, any culture, uh, an evolving culture, an improving culture, one that's starting, you know, from everybody's in a different spot. And one of the things from a worksite communication class that I learned from uh, Toyota is, that just a simple change of words in that servant leadership model instead of saying, hey, I've got 25 people working for me, I need to reverse that to say, hey, I work for you and how can I help? And that was one of the things that Mr. Cho, our president uh, in a little prior in the early 90s, he would always be down at the process. I mean, one day he just, I looked up and Mr. Cho was literally standing right in front of me as I was taking some glove box doors out of a press and I turn around and he's right there. And he's like, how's it going today, Tracy son? And you know, my, my voice is shaking because you know, I, I'm like, oh, what have I done? You know, why is he here? And he's like, how's this machine running? It's a newer machine, I, am, I want to understand is there anything that you need to make this process better? You know, and I'm still reeling from the, the president standing right in front of me, but you found out later, this was a very common practice. You know, he would always come down and get a finger on the pulse of what can I do? He would never direct us or tell us to do anything. It was always through questions. How can I help? What resources do you need right now to be more successful? And I always thought that was such a, a, a model for a president who, you know, was learning English at, at the same time, but just to come down and, and not, sometimes you, you'll, you'll see companies say, well, when my leadership's on the floor, it's because we're doing something wrong, or there's the five who's in the root blame. Mm -hmm. And it's not about how can I help, or you know, what's the, the situation happening. So I always thought very highly of Mr. Cho, and always tried to be like him as a leader as I grew to say, let's just ask those simple questions. How can I help, and what resources do I need, and what are those, those barriers and constraints that I can remove and, and another aspect of, you know, if he didn't know the answer, you know, it was like, and it's the third bullet on there, you know, it's okay. I learned very quickly, it's okay as a leader to not have all the answers. I think a person respects you more and gains trust if you can look at them and say, you know, I don't know, but how about we go see and learn it together? And I would rather be told that somebody didn't know than to give me some off-the-cuff answer and then I'll get back with you later and then I never hear anything. But to, to have the, you know, just the being humble to say, yeah. you know, I don't know. Let's go see together. And, and Mr. Cho is that way as well. He was uh, very much about sharing wisdom and, and let's learn together. And, you know, if we can empower people, through, you know, for us it was quality circles, it was suggestion systems, it was quality task force, safety task force, it was however we can get uh, people to have that space to think and, and also space to listen. You know, our leaders had to listen, but just to listen, get the finger on the pulse, as I say, 
to allow that that empower and engagement at the team member level and to embrace that that they they are our most important assets because our trainers in the early days and we were we were developed after they left to be leaders that ask questions instead of you know I can go to a person or if I'm talking to Ernie I can say Ernie why did you do that you know that infers that and Ernie may take that as that's inferring he did something wrong versus Ernie do you mind taking a moment and helping me understand this process I know your time is valuable can you walk me through this process that's a much different question than why did you do and just say hey can do you mind taking the time to walk me through the process I'm gonna learn the process either way but I'm gonna have him much more engaged with me if I ask and reverse that I and you question and, and that was something that we learned in our, our uh, team leader curriculum that was our hourly leader just to reverse that you and I question and you know the the last part there about discovery learning uh, I don't know how many times our trainers would set us up sometimes to fail. Mm. And sometimes it was just because we were arguing with them and they just said, okay, please go, please document, please come back, we will have discussion. But there was this, this uh, go back to space to think. They gave us space to think, space to fail in, in a way that we could internalize it and have that self-discovery. I thought that was, you know, to give us time to learn and time to reflect, the Hansei part, to reflect on that was, I think, just priceless. And, and going to the end point, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about it, but in the, in the context of just as a culture, if, if I'm 80, 20, or 90, 10 on leading versus lagging, just think about how if I just shift that from 50-50, you know, and then start to even move that. We want to try to really shift that. You'll always have a lagging uh, how am I doing at the end of the quarter type indicator. But if I can be more predictive up front, it gives me the ability to affect the lagging before I get that report at the end of the quarter. I'm having influence before I get it because if I react, on, on April 30th on something that happened in January, I have no idea what happened in that process. I'm guessing, I'm assuming, tribal knowledge is telling me, or my favorite, here's my favorite. I've seen this before, Patrick, here's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. And my first response is, how many times have we seen this before? Mm -hmm. And so I think from a, a leadership perspective, to be able to step out and see some of these things, and you know, we're going through this really fast, you know, this is a, a lot of information, but right. we cover a lot of it in the book, and just how we learned this and the trials and tribulations around it. Um, Marty, I don't know if you have any last things to add on this yeah, part of it. Just a couple of things. Winding down. Uh, uh, the one thing when we talked about going to the Gimba, uh, and I forgot to bring it up and when my slide was up, but if leaders go to the Gimba and they think they see what's happening when they're not there, that's a that's unbelievable. Hmm. The reality is people are trying to perform what they think the leader wants to see. Right. And so it's a, what we call seeing through the process. You've got to be able to see what's happening when you're not there. And that takes really uh, time and skill to be able to have the patience to be able to see that. Right. And, and so we have to do that. The, and the last point I'll make is, 
talking about developing leaders, uh, when I was in, uh, promoted and power trained a manager, my, my trainer would sit around when I'd make a decision, he would ask me, Ernie son, why did you do that? And I would give him the response and then he would just walk off. Hmm. And so for a long time, it really buffaloed me. Why is he doing that? And so, <laughs> and so after some period of time, I asked him, I said, so why do you keep asking these, me these questions? And he says, I'm always gauging your capability level. Your response mm -hmm. give me tells me where you're at as far as your capability level. That wow. was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, insightful way to be able to, he was never, never was he uh, responsive and saying, well, you shouldn't do that. He was always gauging that at, at that level. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. Powerful. Uh, well, we had, a, we had a couple more questions come in and we have a few more minutes. Uh, you, you guys want to hit a couple of these questions? Sure. All right. So we had one question come in that said, um, you were talking a little bit about problem solving towards the beginning. Someone wanted to know, how do you explain the difference between problem solving and preventative actions? So being preventative to keep problems from happening or responding to problems and, and what's the difference between? Yeah. So, so preventative actions would typically say we've got a standard and we're measuring something that tells us we need to make change. Problems usually come from we either don't have the right standard or not following the standard or it's not been updated in so long that we've created another environment that creates a problem. Sure. And so the big difference to me is I, I can do preventive. I can see, I can already see I need to make change. That's the beauty about having the standard and having the KPI to be able to tell me when change is necessary instead of waiting till something breaks down and I've got a problem. So uh, that's a very good question, though. Very, very good question. Yeah, the, the change point management part around that is we try to equip team members to understand, not just in the, the I'll just say the high level written standardized work, but when you look at equipment, capability of equipment, or uh, how many of, of X do we need in our, our line side e-stock, you know, being able to look at all the decision factors and what it takes for me to be successful, the change point management aspect so the team member understands. The less questions they have to ask a team leader, you know, there's a, there's a one to five pitch that one team leader takes care of five people down the line. So when they're equipped with being able to self-answer and know when I get to this level, X needs to happen. I can, I can control that. I can do that. And to know, you know, I'm on a minimum Kanban on, on X and I'm going to need, you know, three more drill bits to come in to, to maximize my content. It's, it's things like that to be able to know and have all the, the factors in and, and creating that standard and, you know, containing an issue because the standard should tell you right away when, I'm not meeting an expectation. And then we have that that's initial problem awareness. Then we go into, okay, where's our gap? Then we go into what, how we measuring, you know, it, it from a measurability standpoint. And then you go into breaking down to the contributing factors of it when you get into the problem solving side. Yeah. Just to add really quick, you know, uh, uh, really the culture should be that problems are great. We love problems. And the more problems we can find gives us more ways to control before our customers sees our product. So yeah. It's really a culture of, of we love problems. We want to bring problems up. And if we don't have problems, that's the biggest problem of all. 
Another question that came in, we're talking about KPIs, was around intangible uh, targets. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you set KPIs for stuff like uh, measuring uh, morale or character, honesty, yeah. things like that? And so, so, so you have to be able to, uh, to look at, okay, if we look at morale, for an example, what are the factors that go into morale? And so those are the KPIs we start measuring. And I can give you a really quick example of that. If you look at absenteeism, you look at uh, the suggestions coming out of that group, you look at voluntary activity, you look at uh, 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 corrective actions. And I can almost take uh, some formula of those four or five, and I can look at any place in the organization, and I can tell you where we, where, where we have issues with morale. As a matter of fact, we had that. And we have what we call our finger on the pulse to be able to always be looking at the data. And we can tell you before we have a team member come up and complain or before we have a team member call the hotline or whatever, whatever avenue it was, which we highly encourage, by the way, because it helps us see gaps. Mm -hmm. But we can always look at those things to be able to tell that before it happens. Now, morale is a kind of a funny thing because a lot of things can change it really quickly, right? And so, but, so if we kind of look at what are the contributing factors to that morale, good or bad, and we measure both of those, we can be able to predict that. Right. And we'll be able to advance that actually in the way. And, and many times it tells you, it tells you when we've got a bad work environment, but it also tells you sometimes when we've got a bad leader. Right. And attrition, I, I know a lot of companies right. Right. deal with attrition. And so, you know, your absenteeism leads to the attrition. So you can see all the things that if I'm not happy and, you know, Ernie and I, a lot of people have seen us do this either on video or at conferences. We talk about the wrinkled sheet of paper versus a clean sheet of paper. And I don't have one right here with me. I wasn't prepared to do it, but people have seen we have a clean sheet of paper, and that's a person coming in ready to go in the organization. They've gone through the, the, the hiring process. They're eager. They're, they're ready. And through time, you know, as we go through, the, the culture may be different than what they thought or their leader may not uh, engage with them. And we slowly bring that person, you know, down to a different enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And I'll always ask two questions, you know, do you believe your company has the best interest at heart for you? And then do you have the best interest of the company at heart? And when you have differing aspects of that, we've wrinkled that sheet of paper. And when you always try to take a wrinkled sheet of paper and undo it, those wrinkles are always going to be there. And people say, oh, well, they were just a bad seed and they, they, they weren't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And from a, a HR perspective, I'm going to ask deeper questions. I don't think we brought them in that way. What did we do from a cultural perspective, from a leadership perspective, to not allow this person to excel? And were we not living our values? Right. And they they seen them on the wall when they came in, but they're seeing something else. So there's you know there can be aspects of morale when we as a company are creating some of these things around attrition, attendance, corrective action, not engaging, not volunteering for the things that we want them to, to think with. But if we don't give them the space to think, they're, they're not going to try too many more times, right? They're going to shut right. down. Yeah, that's exactly right. Great, great way to close our, our presentation today. 
Um, so for anybody that's, and I know we weren't able to get to all the answers so I, or all the questions, I apologize, but for anybody that's looking to learn more, obviously we only had an hour and that's not nearly enough time for all the amazing experiences and, and learnings that we could gain from the two of you. Um, how, how can people access your book or how do they contact you if they want to reach out? Yeah, so you know, a lot of folks I, I saw on there, uh, we, we've met on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's a great way. I, I try to engage on there daily and, and post something. I'm a, a sharer of wisdom. I share a lot of things. I made a hashtag. If you want to go back to see everything, and it goes back pretty far, the hashtag sketched wisdom on LinkedIn. Okay. If you just want to follow that, you can see everything. I think I'm the only one that uses that. You can see everything I've posted, and a lot of stuff we've talked about here, we've actually posted things under that hashtag. But both of us are on um, on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter a little bit, so Tracy underscore son for Twitter. We've got the, the Toyota EE website, and then um, the – what I would say for the book, Amazon, you know, is is the easiest. I think Bards and Nobles has has a site, but Amazon is, I think, a little more global. You can order it directly. I think right now it changes daily, but I think it's about 30, 31 percent off, maybe 32. And then, of course, our emails. So things that maybe that we didn't get to answer. I wouldn't suggest LinkedIn email because that scrolls really fast with other things. So I sometimes yep. miss folks. I know some of you probably email me on the LinkedIn email. And it's not that I don't answer. It's I just lose it because that scrolls so fast. And so if there's something uh, that we can try to answer for you in, in a way that we can uh, write it or, you know, a post or something on one of the old threads that might you want to answer to, feel free to do that. But um, this gives you from a social perspective how to, how to get a hold of us. And uh, we hope to do more of these. And, um, you know, just especially during this time as we're all kind of um, – reopening our, our businesses and our, our worlds out there. I think uh, the e-learning part is still going to be a, a big part of that. So we look forward to, to bringing more uh, resources to that platform. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.